Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Constant Writers. This is the podcast where I, Dave Musson, hello at Dave Musson on Instagram by the way, this is the show where I talk to indie horror authors about them, their work and their relationship with Stephen King. So in each episode I will introduce you to a new indie horror author who may well end up being your new favourite author and you'll get to know them a bit better, you'll get to understand their love of writing and reading, you'll get to learn a bit more about their work and then of course because I am a Stephen King fan and most of the people I'm talking to are Stephen King fans. We geek out about Stephen King. So we chat about the influence the Master of Horror has on them and their writing. And then we go deep on one book in particular before we wrap up with the quickfire 19 question Stephen King challenge. So if that sounds like something you would like more of, stick around for this episode because it's a great one. But when you're done, go and listen to some of the others. Subscribe, follow, whichever you need to do, wherever you're consuming this podcast. You can watch these interviews on YouTube. You can listen wherever you get them. And hey, tell a friend as well. Now, before I introduce this week's guest, the fantastic Spencer Hamilton, just a couple of quick plugs from me. You can pick up some of my fiction, which is on Amazon. You can pick up my quiz book, The Ultimate Stephen King Quiz Book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And in the description for the episode, you will find links to join up to my newsletter and... That gets you some short stories from me every week, some more indie horror recommendations every week, and you get a book of my fiction for free just for signing up. So go and do all that. Anyway, plugs over. Now on to the important bit. This week's guest, Spencer Hamilton, who is the author of Kitchen Sink, a terrific collection of short stories, and is perhaps most widely known for his Smileyland series. A really twisted, creepy, theme park slashery type stuff that you may see popping up here, there, and everywhere. And we'll talk about plenty in this interview. Spencer is also one of the leading lights in the queer horror scene. And we talk a bit about that as well. Lots of interesting conversations around queer characters and whether mainstream authors are doing enough to make queer characters more just a normal part of their stories and what this community is like for queer writers. There's some really great stuff there. And then we go into King and we talk about all the usual questions on Stephen King and Spencer's book of choice for the second episode running we're talking about it but hey look it's a chunky book it deserves lots of discussion and then as I said earlier we wrap up with Spencer's take on the 19 question quickfire challenge so get comfy settle down settle in and come and meet Spencer Hamilton I think you're really going to enjoy it and I will see you on the other side Spencer welcome to Constant Writers how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm I'm really well, thanks. I'm really excited to to talk to you. I know we've been planning this for a while, and we've we've finally been able to make it happen. So, um, yeah, really really buzzing to to talk about this. I mean, obviously, we we're going to get into Stephen King later, as we do in all of these chats. But again, as we do in all these chats, I want to start by talking about you, and we've got lots to talk about. So, first question I always ask all of my guests on this podcast: like, what's your origin story with all things literature? Like, when did you fall in love with writing, and and I guess with reading as well? Well, with with reading is it's it's been since the very beginning. With I I imagine a lot of your guests have this answer in their pocket, which is goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very easy reads for children and scary as hell, and just a wild ride. And that's kind of how I I got my start. But I think my true love for just reading in general and not horror specific was. Uh, my fourth grade teacher handed me a copy of The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I guess even the cover of that book, I don't know if if you're familiar, there's there's a cover with, uh, with Bilbo holding Sting when it's blue and he's like in a cave, probably the cave where he meets Gollum. And it's just, it's very... Uh, eldritch and and uh that cover really spoke to me and i i loved the book and from then on it was off to the races um but for writing you know there's a joke i say which is um the only thing that i wanted to be uh before i wanted to be a writer was spider-man uh essentially it's one of the very first uh, memories of that question, what do you want to be when you grow up, that I remember mm-hmm. having. I I want to be an author. I want to write books. Um, so it's been 
pretty long, I guess. <laughs> and, and so if you've had that, that lifelong ambition to, to do this, like when, when did you actually start taking it more seriously? What, what made you realize you could actually do it? Well, I, I futzed around with it a lot as a kid, uh, writing stories. Uh, there was this perennial fantasy novel that I was writing for, you know, from age 11 to college that never, never came about, you know? Um, but I, I think when it became a true option for me, uh, I was, I had trained to be an editor, a copy editor, and was entering the space of, of self-publishing as a freelancer and was going to conventions and meeting a lot of authors and, and getting to know the world of, of publishing and self-publishing, um, a lot more and realized not only is it something that I could do, um, but in my opinion, from what I was seeing and experiencing, it was the most viable option, uh, not just for me, but for anyone who wants to be a writer. And so, you know, it was a lifelong dream of mine and I saw actual actionable steps toward it. Uh, so I dove in and I remember when I was first starting, uh, the, the question was, well, what genre do I want to write? Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of searching because I, I, I'm, I'm pretty wide in the genres that I read. Mm. Um, but it's not considered good business to write a bunch of different genres as, as an author. And, um, and it took a bit of soul searching, but once I did, it was almost, uh, laughable how obvious it was that I always gra I always gravitated toward horror. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I threw the, the fantasy novel in my trunk never to open again and, <laughs> and, uh, collected, all, all of the short fiction that I had written over the years, um, because I figured, hey, uh, starting starting my publishing career with with a short story collection uh, sounds good to me because short stories are a favorite of mine. And mm -hmm. when I did that, I saw a through line of horror, um, and once I saw that, it was a pretty easy decision and and i'll never regret it i'm i'm completely in with horror now it's uh it's kind of been an interesting experience to see that i've always gravitated toward it and always mm -hmm. loved it but for some reason i've never put a name to that yeah um you know and i mean i could sit here and uh and self-diagnose and say, well, it's, you know, that's the product of, of growing in a, growing up in a conservative, conservative household when horror is like a, uh, a bad word, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I am very happy to be where I am now. I mean, I remember first coming across your name and your work, probably with your pandemic story, The Fear. I mean, it was it was a striking artwork that really, that really hooked me in at first before I read it. Mm. Um, and I have to say, I really admire how you just weren't shy at all in releasing that while we were still in the midst of that global COVID pandemic. <laughs> I mean, I mean, from my point of view, this, this, you know, the story is great and I think, it, I think it certainly stands up on its own. But were you at all worried that people would just, would just be like, I don't, need this right now i don't want to read something so close to home or, or was it actually a case of no this is this is like i'm going to strike while the iron's hot i'm going to get this out here and and um, and allow people to sort of i don't know try and process this pandemic through this story like what was what was the decision process for putting that one out there when you did well uh it's a great question because it's such an interesting moment in time that we kind of all share is mm -hmm the the pandemic there's there's few things in history that i think everyone in the world um experienced at the same time um and 
this was one of those moments and a lot of people had to find ways to stay sane, especially in the first lockdowns. Um, and so writing the fear began as, you know, I had, I had just put out kitchen sink and I, so I had just put out my first book and I was looking to, uh, publish a novel. And so I had to ask myself, well, what, what is the novel going to be? And then I found myself in lockdown and needed ways to process what I was going through. And so I started writing this book, um, and it was largely therapeutic, um, you know, for my own sanity and not just in, uh, you know, going stir crazy in the pandemic, but also kind of sifting through um, a lot of internal um, mental health that I was going through at the time. And, and so it really was very, very therapeutic and cathartic. Um, and I put it out and I, I was, as you said, I was, I was terrified <laughs> that people would, would not want to touch this thing with a 32 foot pole. And, um, the, the idea of striking while the iron is hot is to me laughable. I had a, a review or maybe a few, um, accused me of just trying to, uh, make a quick buck. Mm-hmm. And that always made me laugh because, um, I think if you know, the process of publishing it is especially self-publishing um it is not a quick buck (laughs) industry no um and and i never wrote the thing to make money you know when it comes to writing that's not my why and and uh so i i knew going in that it would be a hard sell and it would be polarizing. Um, and there would be readers who would dismiss it out of hand because, uh, they don't need it. But, you know, some people, I think it comes down to, uh, you know, if I could generalize, there are two kinds of people. There are the people who, who look directly at, um, the monster that's coming at them because, all information um, helps their anxiety. And I, I certainly know that's how I am. Uh, when the pandemic started, the first thing I did was crack open the stand and reread that. Um, and then there are people who need an escape um, and need to turn to fantasy uh, and and maybe feel good beach reads and stuff when when they're living through a horror, um, like, like we were at the time. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely in the first category. And Mm. so that's why I wrote it. And I was hoping it would find readers like me. Yeah. And, and I mean, from the reaction I've seen online, I think it's certainly, it's overwhelmingly positive, um, sort of far outweighing those, those ones who perhaps are like wrong time or, or, or like you say, to accuse you of trying to make a quick book. So, I hope you feel justified in putting it out because it's certainly one I enjoyed. <laughs> um, you mentioned Kitchen Sink as well, which is another one I have. Um, I actually have this physical copy on my on my shelf rather than just a, a Kindle hey. copy. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm guessing the name Kitchen Sink is because, as you say, it's 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 all of your stories thrown in. Is that is that where it comes from by any chance? Yeah, well, it it actually comes from uh, Stephen King's Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading that book at the time when I was trying to answer, um, what kind of author would I be? Mm-hmm. And I, I just remember being astonished at the kind of stuff that he was putting in that book. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like 300,000 words, which is insane, especially for a short story collection. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a screenplay in there. There's a poem, there's, nonfiction essay about his son's baseball team and um it's it's quite bizarre but i mean i had heard that joke about how um you know publishers would publish stephen king's uh 
grocery list. Yeah. But after reading that book, you kind of see what <laughs> maybe there's a little truth to it. No, I I did love that book. It was just so unwieldy and I didn't really know what to make of it. And um I remember thinking, well, how like maybe maybe he's onto something here. And and so I I pulled together all the stories that I had finished or wanted to finish and um, sent it to my editor and was like, hey, is there something here? And she wanted me to cut a few stories. Like, you know, there is a fantasy story in there. Um, and she also, I, I think, uh, understandably so, wanted me to cut stories that I wrote when I was a teenager that are in there. And I held to the concept mainly because of that Stephen King collection. And um, I'm, I'm very glad I did all of those stories that were on the chopping block uh, have featured in, re in reviews as, as favorites. And, um, and what I, what I love about the, the kitchen sink concept is there is a through line uh, right, which I talk about in the introduction to the book, but um, there's so many different kinds of stories in there that ultimately readers' lists of favorite stories have run the gamut, you know, and that's been really fun for me to watch. Yeah, and I was going to ask as well. I mean, short stories is is a topic that comes up time and time again in these interviews and obviously with Stephen King it's a big part of his career as well like how important do you think it is for a for a horror author in particular to to have sort of short stories as part of their arsenal specifically horror i think short stories are they cater to the genre almost um you know you look at the origins of the genre and short fiction, I mean, with Edgar Allan Poe yeah. is, is just massive. I, I remember the telltale heart, um, was just in, incredibly formative for me as a child. Um, and you know, Ray Bradbury's, uh, sound of thunder. And, um, uh, I mean, Ray Bradbury has so many, he's not specifically a horror, uh, writer, but, uh, he, he definitely kept returning to that topic. Um, and then you have, uh, these, these other story forms that are similar to the short story, like, um, like the twilight zone, mm -hmm. uh, or tales from the crypt, these, these very short, you know, I think, uh, morality tales fit into short fiction really well, uh, short fiction as, as a story form is um, very, it, it allows and almost encourages uh, experimentation. Uh, there's just so much freedom and and uh, different ways to go with the short story. And Stephen King, you know, he's he's known for these 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 door stoppers like the stand, but he has hundreds of short stories that are just as great. And so I think that short fiction as an as a story form in horror is uh indispensable. Mm, definitely. And it's it's a challenge to like get under someone's skin in a short word count as route as well, right? Like doing Absolutely. it for a novel is one thing, but doing it with a quick punch is is quite something else. Absolutely. I mean, I guess now you're perhaps best known for your for your Smileyland stories and that that world that you've been building and kind of just dotting around in various publications over the last few years. I guess mm -hmm. to start on that, for people watching and listening who perhaps haven't gone in on Smileyland yet, could you maybe give them like the elevator pitch for that series um, and maybe just give a bit of background as to where the inspiration came from as well? Yeah, uh, Smileyland is... An abandoned uh, amusement park that uh, a certain malevolent force keeps drawing people to, um, and you know it borrows a lot from classic slashers, um, but also from supernatural stuff. Like Smileyland is alive. Like 
like the Overlook Hotel. Um, and, and it, the inspiration for it is, is not very exciting to be honest. Uh, I was about to put out the fear and I needed, I needed a, a freebie to be able to give people as an incentive to join my newsletter. And mm-hmm. so I, I went onto a, a pre-made cover artist's website and was, was cruising images of pre-made covers. And I came across this, this image of a smiley face with a skull peeking through these rips. Mm-hmm. And I was going for something just high octane fun. And that image uh, spoke to me. And so I, I came up with the idea of a, of, of a theme park whose theme is, you know, never stop smiling. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, laughter and horror are very closely linked, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, that, that release, which I think is why, uh, a lot of people who go to horror movies will find themselves laughing, um, sometimes at the most messed up stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's okay. Cause I, I do think that they're, you know, two peas in a pod. And so that idea of, of, uh, always smiling, uh, is inherently, uh, horrific to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, so it, it does have a simple beginning, but once I wrote the first one, which is called welcome to smiley land, I was so in love with the world and readers, as you said, really responded and so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be staying in Smileyland for a bit. Yeah. And I've noticed with the Smileyland stories, as I said earlier, you they do seem to sort of be dropped around in various places. I mean, there's some self-published stuff, there's some that have appeared in anthologies. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that a deliberate ploy to, to give people as many entry points into this world as possible? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I see it as a big arena to play in Mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily want it to be this long overarching series that you have to read in order. You know, I want a bunch of different entry points. I think, uh, one of the, uh, one of the side effects of horror is, uh, a lot of characters, bite it at the end of their story and so uh sequels can be a hard thing to do Mm. and so i just kind of lean into that and they are all connected so i do want to give that reward and payoff to people who who want to read everything um but also you know if you're looking for um a, a slasher in the 90s or if you're looking for religious horror in the early 20th century or all these different uh starting points i i want to uh you know give a lot of different and 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 fun uh beginnings Mm. and something i definitely wanted to cover before we move on to king that connected to the smile and stuff was i think probably probably your writing's biggest impact on me and that's just just the inclusion of of non-binary characters, characters who just use they them pronouns, for example. I, I mean, if I remember correctly, the leading welcome to Smiley's pronouns are, are they them, and I I won't lie. Initially, my my cis brain was just like completely flummoxed when I first started reading it. Mm-hmm. You know, just for those first few uses of it, I was just like, what? Why am I missing it? Admittedly, I was I had very young children at that time, so I was probably also very tired. But anyway. <laughs> I think the biggest thing I took from it was that I actually really appreciated being jolted out of my comfort zone. And I don't know if I told you this, but like since reading that story, I went in, in my own writing, I've just started including more non-binary characters and that's directly inspired by your work. Wow. wow. I mean, I, I guess, I guess my question would, would really to start this would be like, how important is it to you to not only have queer and non-binary characters, but also to do it in a way where that is not their defining feature. Mm. Uh, well, to answer that question, it's very important. Um, crucial, I think. Uh, in in my storytelling, I've decided that uh, that is very important to me, mm-hmm. and so I've I've tried to prioritize it. Um, 
And, you know, I think it's like you said, to not make that queer identity the sole purpose of the character or the sole uh, uh, struggle that the character is going through and to just have it be a part of them is this way of normalizing um, different identities. And uh, I think we're kind of seeing that a lot, especially in horror these days. And there needs to be more, <laughs> you know? And I, I do want to say, though, I, I love that you said, you know, it was a jolt at first to yeah. have a main character with they, them pronouns. Um, and I've seen that from a, uh, from several reviews for the book. And what I've appreciated about it is usually they've said, similar to you, is, you know, it was a jolt at first, and then my brain just kind of clicked after a bit, and it was simple. And that I think that's kind of the point for me yeah you know yeah yeah and I, I think that ended up being the point for me as well which which i, I yeah I, I think just shows just shows the the power of it really and i mean i guess I, um this is admittedly coming from my sort of straight guy perspective but I, I get the sense that the indie horror scene is is one where queer authors where where lgbtqia plus authors where they can really flourish and they can hesitate to use the word safe space but you know they they can feel like that is a safe space do, do you feel that that's the case for this scene i do i do indie horror as a community is uh a very loud um booster of queer stories and i think that that is starting to bleed into um you know the the upper stratosphere of horror with bigger names mm -hmm. um uh, Haley Piper and uh, and and T Kingfisher are are breaking into uh, the the more mainstream horror space uh, mm -hmm. with with their horror and there's so many others that are becoming so big that the traditional publishing space, which is not a very inclusive space, is perking up its ears. And saying, "Oh, oh, we can make money from that," and uh, and you know that's what talks to them. But but is as far as the indie horror space goes, absolutely, it's um, it's it loves to champion diverse voices, and that's Ooh. my favorite part of it. And, and I mean, talking indie horror and queer authors in particular, I know you, you were also the editor of the um, the collection, There's More of Us Than You Know, which is 13 stories from 13 queer authors. I'm guessing that was a pretty important project for you to be part of. It was very important. Um, when I was brought on, it was something entirely different. And um, to give credit where credit's due, I was given full, um, full creative charge. And so I shaped it into what it is with uh, with the title and bringing on um, queer artists for the cover and and all of these things, and it, it was a very important and, and special uh, book for me. Hmm. And we're about to move on to a, a very famous author, but I just 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 before we round off this part of the interview, I guess, do you think that there are any big mainstream authors? Do you think they're doing enough to write realistic and compelling queer characters? And, and are there any of those big authors that are doing it well at the moment? I know you mentioned some earlier, but in terms of perhaps perhaps ones more towards a sort of household name, is is there anyone out there who who you've spotted doing this well? Well, to your first question, you know, are mainstream authors doing enough? I'd say no. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, there there are mainstream authors who are putting in an effort, uh, which I love and, and many readers out there love, uh, but there can always be more. Mm -hmm. And um, as far as mainstream authors that that are doing it well right now, I, I will say it wasn't, it certainly wasn't mainstream when it was first published, but I would consider it mainstream now uh, because of the M. Night Shyamalan movie that just came out, which was uh, The Cabin at the End of the World, mm. um, which has wonderful representation. Paul Tremblay is is um, 
really good at lifting up voices, um, not just in his own books, but um, other authors that that he endorses and Ooh. and such. And that's the kind of um, behavior and writing that is admirable to me. Um, and it's also a great book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree on that. I I read it. I went to see the movie and then read the book afterwards. So. Yeah, it's, um, I did wonder if you'd mentioned that one, but I, I then it was like, now nah, maybe that's just me being too obvious. But no, okay, cool. All right, well, this is a Stephen King channel, so um, let's let's talk about him a bit more. Um, same question I ask all of my guests to start with for this part of the interview: What does Stephen King mean to you as a fan, and what sort of place does he hold in your heart? Stephen King has been a huge part of of my journey. Uh, from a very early age, uh, with his movies, that that was my first entry. Um, my friend and I would go to uh, Blockbuster Video and mm-hmm. and find all the horror movies that we knew our parents wouldn't let us see, and we'd hole up in his bedroom and watch all these classics. And I loved it. I I believe Carrie was the first one with Sissy Spacek that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his first books, though, uh, I was a late bloomer into adult fiction. I, I mostly read uh, children's fantasy growing up. Um, and then I remember when I was 15, I walked into a bookstore and Stephen King's Cell had just come out, I think, that day. And I saw on the cover, I saw Blood. And I saw the name Stephen King. And those were two things I knew that my mom would hate. <laughs> so I bought it and brought it home. And uh, and I read it. And it was just mind-boggling. Uh, I, I loved it. I know that that book, you know, in the context of, of his book, body of work is not particularly beloved but i certainly loved it and um uh and it stuck with me it wasn't until my early 20s that i really took a a shining to uh his larger body of work and i started reading it from the beginning and i you know i'm still working through it i've read uh, about 60 of his books uh i think that there's like 20 left or something um but it's, uh, it is, you, you can't put into words the kind of influence that he has had on the genre. I mean, he is a genre. Mm. Um, I would also say, though, that his uh, nonfiction writing about the genre itself is almost just as important as uh, the the work that he's contributed to it. I, I love how you can say, yeah, I've read 60 of his books and there's only about 20 more left. I mean, there's yeah. very few authors you can say that about. Um, I've read so many of his books and there's so many left. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, my next question was like, what what sort of impact do you think King's writing has had on your own writing, if any? Um, big influence, big influence. I would say that, you know, he's known for his character work yeah. and um, he's he's definitely earned that and so that is something that i try to emulate when i write uh because nobody does it like king mm. you know yeah and you say you 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 let's let's say for argument's sake you're about three quarters of the way through his mm-hmm. uh, his bibliography is there i found when i did my chronological reread i found you can see quite distinct periods of king's writing like there's obviously sort of substance fueled stuff early on there's like getting sober there's there's the 90s which is more interesting perhaps domestic abuse and stuff and the supposed accident things is there any particular period so far that has has really struck with you in terms of king's writing as being a favorite mm-hmm. well i i do love all you know the decades of king and i've um i've been pretty loose with my chronological read and i've mm-hmm. i've still read all of his new stuff as it comes out um so I do, I do love the new King, um, yeah. and strongly disagree with anyone who, who, you know, talks shit about it. But, yeah. um, I, I, 
your question makes me think of uh, the beginning of his career. Mm. You know, he's in his 20s, in the 70s, and every book he puts out is... Uh, it's it's a classic now, yeah. Um, and holds up, uh, you know, with with Carrie and Salem's Lot and The Shining and The Stand. I mean, I just named his first four books. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like I see him as like the Metallica of authors. Like, yeah, you know, like the, just just coming out of the gate with like one, two, three, four, first five things out, and they're all just they're all just stellar. Yeah, he's um. <clears throat> He's quite a talent. So okay. yeah, I think I think his the my favorite King period would be maybe his first dozen books leading up to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is a nice segue because your book of choice for this conversation is is it. Mm-hmm. I've got a I've got a nice vintage version here to hold up to the camera. We'll get onto it in a moment. I was curious, were there any others that made that sort of made your shortlist for this choice? Did you have, did you have any honorable mentions that were almost the ones you went for? For this part of the conversation, yeah, well, Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, did you talk to Thomas Gloom about that? Did indeed, yeah. Um, so that I mean, I think that's the scariest mm-hmm. of his. It's certainly the scariest that I've read. Um, I also thought of Revival. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those were the three that I considered, but uh, I was really only considering the other two because I assumed that it would have already been claimed by one of your guests <laughs> well, well we have we have had christopher badcock talking about it funnily enough on this seat on this mm-hmm. season and that's more through me not being organized and reading my messages properly but i think actually <laughs> it's such a stellar book and it's such a it's such an influential book that i think it warrants having two discussions about it and, I, and i'm actually interested to to sort of ask you guys similar questions and see what see how your answers vary so so it then it's like I say that that you know relatively small, lesser known book of his from 1986. Thousands of pages, different timelines. We get the Losers Club, we get Pennywise, perhaps one of the most iconic villains of all time. Um, but that is all just that is all just me um, spouting stuff. Why did you pick it? What what was it about it? It I feel is Stephen King's greatest accomplishment um well i'm i'm going to start by contradicting myself because uh i actually think that his greatest accomplishment is is dance macabre but in terms of of his own storytelling i think that um it is his thesis statement on fear Mm. and um you know i think any other author could have retired after putting out that book He's said what he's wanted to say, and he's going to, you know, dust off his hands and go live his life. But um, King is is compelled. Storytelling is a compulsion for him, uh, and and we're all the better for it. Uh, but but yeah, I think it it's it's this epic epic statement of not just fear, but how we interact with fear, especially as children. Um, and this may be a strange thing to say, but I think it's beautiful. Mm. No, I, I agree with you. And it's something I always say to people talking about it is that, you know, people, people hear about Pennywise and they perhaps know about some of the more iconic kills in here, but it's, it's also an amazing story about friendship as well. And for, for that to be woven into like you say, this, the master of horrors thesis on fear, it's it's a mind-boggling prospect in many ways, and yet you sit down and read it. And well, I don't know if you found similar. But the two times I've read this, I, I just fly through it because I'm just completely in that world, and it hooks me in. And the different timelines just work; everything just slots into place, and it's just it's just one of the most joyous reading experiences I've had. I mean, what what, what was your first reading experience of of it like? Because I know some people is is one they tackled and and didn't finish first time and it took them a couple of goes like how did you come come about actually reading it uh i read it gearing up for the the new 2017 movie okay uh i was going to read the first half 
because you know I was looking and I was like eleven hundred pages. Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll save the other five hundred or so for the second movie, but you know it turns out that's not how it worked, and and I didn't want to wait, hmm. uh, and I flew through it. Uh, yeah, so I I read it then, and then r- more recently I listened to the audiobook. Okay, the one with Stephen Webber. Doing it. Yes. I've heard so many good things about that, and it's, I've never done audio an audio book of King's work, and I feel like that would be the one that I'm going to go in on if and when I do it because I've just heard so many positive reports. Yeah, I've I've listened to a lot of audiobooks, and when it comes to King, I'd say either you need Stephen Weber or you need uh, King himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you so you were reading this in preparation for the movie then, and I guess. People who've read the book will know that there are quite quite a few amazing scenes in the book that didn't make it into any of the movies, perhaps for practicalities, um, and perhaps as we'll get onto one scene in a in a little while for for other reasons. But what, how did you feel when you so you'd read the book and then you see the movie? Like, were you were you satisfied that the the stuff that hooked you in from the book made it onto the screen? Was there stuff you wished? was there stuff that didn't make it that you wished had like right how how was that as an experience for you well i was ultimately satisfied uh the movie is actually one of my favorite horror movies Mm -hmm. um and i don't i i guess i approach the whole you know book or movie question a little differently than i think most people do um I don't mind when movies take liberties. In fact, I think they should because it is a different medium. Yeah. Um, and with that comes uh, different ways of telling story. And I think uh, the director, Andy Machetta, Machetti, Machetti yeah. um, I think he did a phenomenal job with that first movie of... Um, you know, honoring this this beloved classic, while also uh, telling a complete story with the the limited time that he had, mm. um, because you're not going to fit eleven hundred pages into one movie. You're not going to fit it into two movies. Um, the second movie, <laughs> I I love, um, mm. but it's very messy. Yeah. And um, that is something that it uh, marks it uh, separate from the, that first one. I think the first one does a very good job of telling a tight story and keeping to the themes um, of the book. And I think that's the, the best way that a book can be adapted is if the filmmakers understand um, what the story is trying to say. Um, and what the audience loves about that book. And I think that that movie does do that. And while we're on the movie, quick one for you. Who, who, who is your Pennywise? Is it Bill Skarsgård or is it Tim Curry? That's also a tough question because for years and years and years, Tim Curry, uh, was a, a, a favorite of, of, of horror lovers. Right. Um, but Skarsgård, you just i think there's just there are times when uh you have to admit that uh a new version of a classic uh did it better i think scar scar owns it in my opinion yeah yeah and i guess i'm curious like going back to the the idea of like the, the scenes that are in the book that didn't make the movie for whatever reason are, are there any of those ones that they didn't make it through that that really stand out to you on the page. I mean, I know from my point of view, the one, the one I really liked, really small detail. But there's one where Pennywise is killing someone, and he's he's dressed as the creature from the Black Lagoon, mm-hmm. and you get inside the mind of the kid who's being killed, and you can see the zipper, like mm-hmm. as a little nod to like in the movies. I, I just love the little details like that that work brilliantly on the page. Are, are there any are there any scenes that, like I say, didn't make it into the adaptations from the book that really that really um stick out for you? Well, I think. The scenes that that didn't make it, for me, the idea that Pennywise turns into all of these classic monsters, mm. um, because that is what kids have been taught to be afraid of. Yeah, um, 
I, I love that so much because of what it's saying about uh, pop culture fear. Um, but I, I think uh, it didn't fit the language of the film. And, you know, he does do a bit of that in the movie. Uh, there's shots of him as the mummy and, and these sorts of things, but um, not enough for someone who hasn't read the book to understand what was happening, I, yeah. I think. And um, I think that that is a crucial part of the the story is is Pennywise turning into all these recognizable monsters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say that that is something that I did sorely miss. <laughs> so what what do you think? What form would Pennywise take for you if you found yourself in Derry and he happened to be awake? Mm, something something bug related. Okay. Uh, bugs, man. They just oh, that's that's my that's my horror. So the flying leeches for Patrick Hockstetter must be must be quite something for you. Oh yeah, I mean, I I hate um, associating myself with with <laughs> with that character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but yeah. And we talked earlier about how you know you you said one of King's strengths is characters, and that that's something that you've taken into your work. And this book is a is a rich menu of amazing characters parking the losers club for a moment because i have a separate question for you about them but taking any of the other characters from the book who who stands out for you in this one because there's there's so many that for other authors would just be a side character that I, I don't know for me in this one they feel they almost feel like main characters even though they're not like are there any from that that surrounding cast that you particularly enjoy um well, yeah, you, uh, Patrick Hopsender, I think, as, in terms of writing a a kid who is just a psychopath, yeah. um, that's a tall order, <laughs> and it was terrifying. And um, particularly in the book, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's Pennywise appears to Patrick as Frankenstein. Am I? It's been I, a while. It's been a while since I read it. Um, God, I'm, I'm going to hate this if I'm, <laughs> but, uh, Frankenstein is, is, um, besides it, maybe my other favorite horror novel. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I do love that parallel, but yeah, Patrick's character is just, uh, unapologetically fucked up <laughs> Yeah, and also very believable. Mm. Uh, it's unhinged, but king roots it in reality i think mm. and to have him alongside henry bowers as well like it's like mm -hmm. jesus like a, a, an absolute dynamic duo of just horrific human monsters it's um yeah yeah it's, terrifying. It's, it's crazy too that patrick is the he's the most messed up kid i think of the bunch but henry bowers is the one that King chose to put center stage as, as the bully, you know, he, he does love a greaser bully, doesn't he? <laughs> and in terms of, I said, I was holding on with the losers club. So the losers club are obviously an, an iconic group of seven. Like I was going to ask who's your favorite, but perhaps more interesting is like who, perhaps it's your favorite as well, but like who, who do you identify with most? Like which, which one are you most like in that, in that bunch? Oh, I mean, if I were to, pick one that I identify with the most, maybe Ben. Um, I think that Mike is kind of the unsung hero of the Losers Club. And in my opinion, you know, the outsider who stays, um, yep. everyone else gets out and has this, these lives of success and he stays and it's tragic. Um, and I think that this, the second of the new movies, uh, did Mike dirty. I just, I have to say that, uh, you know, uh, I just, I want to shout out Mike. We love him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And do you think for you sitting there as an author, who's, you know, you've got a few works out there under your belt now, you know, you've, you've done a, 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 you've tried a few different forms. Like, could you see yourself writing something as, as sprawling and as weighty and as ambitious as this? Uh, short answer. No, <laughs> uh, but I'll try. Uh, yeah. No, there there are a few stories that I um that I'm almost like waiting to be able to write almost. Yeah. Uh 
And, you know, King himself, he, he was still very young when he wrote it. Mm. Um, God, I think maybe he was my age. I don't remember now, but, um, but yeah. So thinking of it in that context, it feels insurmountable, but I hope, I hope I can write something, uh, as, as epic. Yeah. But you know, only time will tell. And lastly on, on it, um, again, a question I used to round off all of these, um, sections. So for anyone watching or listening who hasn't read it yet, what three words would you use to describe or, or sell it to somebody and convince them to give it a go? Mm. Um, fear, mm. childhood friendship. Nice. Yeah. And that does the job. Okay. <laughs> Great. This this has been this has been great to to have this chat, Spencer. We are nearly done. Um, basically, before we finish, we've got to go through the nineteen question quick fire king challenge, and it's not it's not one of these things that you sometimes see on podcasts like, "Hey, you up for doing this?" Like, we're doing this. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know that that's happening, and just check that you're ready to start. Basically, <laughs> cool. Okay, I like that. Okay, so as I said, it's quick fire, so you don't need to give any explanations. I might try and get explanations out of you, but they are not required at all. Um, so let's just go for it. Um, you've already mentioned this, but just to confirm, what was the first King book you ever read? So. And what about the most recent one you've read? The Colorado Kid. Nice. Um, I got a guess for your answer for this one, but what, what's your all-time favorite King? We've been talking about it. It's it. <laughs> I did wonder. Um, and what about your all-time least favorite? I'm going to say Tommy Knockers. Even though it's got an appearance from Pennywise in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think is King's most underrated novel? Definitely Revival. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening and you have not read Revival, go read Revival. Yeah. I'd second that, definitely. It's um, it's quite something, particularly the final act. Ooh, mm -hmm. Yes. Um, in terms of uh, artwork, which King book has your favorite cover art? I'd say Bizarre of Bad Dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, um, it's gorgeous. And what about your least favorite? This was harder. Made in Colorado Kid, actually. Is that is that the one with the woman in the dress on the red background? Or is it the one with the, the woman on the beach who's kind of like, shocked and finding the body mm, uh thank you for asking it's uh, the one with the the woman in the dress um yeah. it it fits the the trope and style that they were going for but has nothing to do with the story yeah <laughs> yeah no I, I i can see a point on that one um what would be the one king book you could recommend to anybody um the green mile good choice um we've talked a little bit about king movies um so what's your favorite king adaptation you know you'd think that i'd say the the 2017 it that i've been <laughs> raving about um but i'm gonna say the mist there are others that it's just killing me not to name <laughs> but um the mist yes i think that's a pretty solid choice um uh, at the other end of the scale, what about your least favorite adaptation? Sell. No questions asked. And <laughs> <laughs> um, if I could offer you the chance to have any King character make a cameo in your own work, who would you pick? Well, Pennywise. Oh, yeah. God, Pennywise is smiling and that is a terrifying prospect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Pennywise would find 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 himself in a, a fight with Smiley Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be quite something. Um, which King book or, or story even would you say is most similar to your own style of writing? Um, Salem's Lot. Yeah. Cool. It's it's hard to pick because it feels um, conceited, you know, to, yeah. to, to name a Stephen King book as close to your own. But yeah, I would, I would say Salem's Lot. And... For this one, I want you to give me one King book for each of these. So one, one King book that you keep forever. So you read, you reread, you keep reading until it falls apart, all of that kind of stuff. 
one that you read only once. So you read it, park it on your shelf, maybe pull it out and look at the cover occasionally, but but don't read it again. And one that you would delete from existence. Okay, so you said uh, keep forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Since we're talking about it. Um, and read only once. Rage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and delete from existence. I'm going to cheat here and say the plant. Okay. Because he never finished it, you know? Like, I'm doing him a favor. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you read The Plan out of curiosity? I have not. No. It's um it's interesting. It's um yeah, because it's available for free on his website. Um it's kind of got a prototype Jerome character from Mr. Mercedes. Um and it's got it's got a lot of weirdness in there. Um <laughs> but yeah, it's um yeah, I can see why he gave up on it because yeah, it was running out of steam somewhat. But it's it's I mean, I, I guess I'm a completist. It, it, it is interesting to see that, and, and knowing knowing the story about the sort of experiment behind it as well, sort of adds a bit to it. But yeah, I, I, I can see that as a good one to delete. Okay, so the final five questions of this 19 question challenge this is a straight either or. So again, no no explanation needed. Um, but let's go. Let's see where we get to. So um, the book or the movie? The book. The stand or it? Would you rather have a, a holiday in Derry or a night at the Overlook? The Overlook. Um, short story or full novel? Um, short story. And lastly, would you rather go for walkies with Cujo or have a weekend away with Annie Wilkes? Uh, walkies with Cujo. He didn't yeah. do anything wrong, you know? He's he's a yes. victim here. He's a yes. Victim. Yes, he's a good boy. Yes, good. I keep telling this to all these people who pick the weekend with Annie Wilkes. They're crazy, but um, cool. Great. Spencer, this has been so much fun and, and definitely worth the wait and getting this um this conversation locked in and sorted. Uh, before we finish, I wanted to sort of throw the floor over to you. So please like let people, tell people where they can find out more about you, where they can find out more about your work and, and tell us what you've got coming up in, in the rest of 2023 and beyond. Like what, what's next for you? Yeah. Well, Dave, again, thank you for, for having me on here. It's been a blast. I'm so glad we finally got to do it. Yeah. Um, I would love, uh, you know, if you're listening or watching, come find me on Instagram at spencer.hamilton.books um, or on Twitter where I'm less frequently active. Um, but also go to my website, spencerhamiltonbooks.com and grab yourself a free book there. And, uh, by doing so, uh, you will be, uh, getting, getting the news, you know, what, what's coming next and keeping up to date. And, uh, speaking of what's coming next, I am, finally publishing Welcome to Smiley Land, the book that has started uh, my my Smiley Land world. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited. I've had so many readers demand that they get their hands on a physical copy. Mm. And so it's, it's going to be finally happening this summer. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's really exciting. With the same, was the same iconic cover art? Um, that same image. Yes. It will be, awesome. you know, updated a bit, but yes. That's fantastic. Well, people should definitely, definitely go and pick themselves a copy of that. And um, and yeah, go onto your mailing list and, and stay up to date. Um, Spencer, again, great fun having this conversation. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast and um, good luck for, for the, the upcoming weeks, months and, and years ahead. Dave, thank you. You as well. So there we go. Told you that was another good episode. Huge thanks to Spencer for his time. This was one I've been trying to book in for ages and we finally made it happen. And I'm so glad we did i think you'll agree spencer has been a brilliant addition to this already stellar roster of interview guests that we've had for this podcast this season and for last season as well and we're not done yet there's two more left in this season do go and check out spencer find his work and god i don't know about you but i'm very excited about the possibility of actually holding the welcome to smiley land book in my hands rather than just having it on my kindle that printed edition that's due this summer yeah, that's going to be something pretty special to own. Do make sure you pick that one up. And of course, in the description, all the links you need 
for finding Spencer. And, you know, if you want to find me as well and some of my work, they're all there. Go and check them out. And if you liked this, tell a friend, share this episode with a friend. Remember, you can watch them on YouTube or you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Any support in spreading the word would really, really help. And I guess the biggest thing you can really do next is come back next time because, well, you're not going to have to wait long until I come back and see you again with another Constant Writer very, very soon.